This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. The Brexit process has been one of the main reasons why British auto manufacturing has posted year-over-year declines for nine straight months. And while those automakers also cite slowing demand both at home and abroad, the Brexit has sent automakers, including Jaguar Land Rover uh, and others, into a frenzy worrying about what could be irreparable harm to their industry if there were no Brexit deal. But the numbers tell a different story. Domestic auto production is down 11%. Exports of autos are off 16.4%. And exports for China, the biggest auto markets in the world, were less than half of what was seen there a year ago. There is also potential issues surrounding layoffs, including already 4,500 announced globally by Jaguar Land Rover. With more, we are joined by John Paul McDuffie, Management Professor at Wharton and Director of the Program on Mobility Innovation at Wharton's Mac Institute for Innovation Management, and by David Bailey, Professor of Industrial Strategy at Aston Business School in Birmingham, England, and also author of the new book, Keeping the Wheels on the Road, UK Auto After Brexit. John Paul, great to have you back with us. David, pleasure to have you on the show today. Glad to be here. Thank you. Uh, So, David, give us uh, your sense of where the the British auto industry is right now. And obviously it uh, it has got quite a few issues that it is dealing with, in part because of this back and forth on Brexit. Uh, That's right. So I think there's sort of three big things going on at the moment. One is a huge shift away from diesels cars in Europe and in the UK. So a massive 50% fall in diesel sales in the UK last year, on top of a big fall the year before. Remember, diesel, hugely more important in the market in Europe than in the United States. Secondly, that downturn in China has had a huge impact on the likes of Jaguar Land Rover. I think exports in January of cars from the UK to China down by over 70%. And then on top of all of that, the uncertainty over Brexit has cooled the market so far and has led to a big drop in investment. So investment down by about 80% in the last uh, three years. Companies are stalling they're big investment decisions because of the big uncertainty about the nature of this future trading relationship with Europe. John Paul, what's been your reaction to what's been going on with these automakers? Well, uh, you know, the auto industry has a relatively slow clock speed. Um, you know, think of a four-year product replacement cycle, unlike uh, what we're used to with electronics and, and IT. And yeah. <clears throat> so they have very long planning cycles. And, you know, the two plus years since the the Brexit referendum vote without a plan and high uncertainty is clearly the kind of thing that would always cause automakers uh, a lot of concern in their planning cycle. And I completely agree with David. There's more things going on for the U.K. auto industry than just Brexit. There's always more things going on because it's a complex global industry. And so yeah. it's a little hard to parse out the different pieces of these various downturns, but I, I do think, um, and you know, the companies will say various things. Sometimes they'll say things that are, are more alarmist, and sometimes they'll say, oh, well, what we're doing has nothing to do with Brexit. I think it's hard to take all those things at, at face value. But, you know, from the Honda saying they're going to pull out of Swindon to Nissan and Toyota, you know, postponing or delaying some product placements or investments in their UK plants, um, there's a lot of reasons for concern. So, David, where when you when you talk about exports specifically with these automakers, where has the strength lied for them over the last year or two? Well, what what we see is a lot of remember the Japanese producers in particular came to the UK, Axe 
European market. So Europe has taken away a lot of not only the tariff barriers internally, but also the non-tariff barriers. Uh, so common regulations, for example. Right. Margaret Thatcher's great achievement back in the 1980s was to attract Japanese in, uh, car companies here, really as a launch pad into Europe. We've effectively ripped that deal up. So the likes of Honda that came here basically are, are scratching their heads thinking, what on earth is the UK doing? So huge concern amongst the Japanese who came to the UK to access the European market. Over 50% of cars made in the UK are exported go to the EU. The big growth area in recent years has been to China, but the Chinese market is now contracting for the first time in over 20 years, and that has had a huge impact on Jaguar Land Rover. So, you know, the companies that are based in the UK are being buffeted both by the uncertainty around Europe, but also broader global changes. And remember as well, the industry is about to transform itself, particularly in Europe, a big shift towards electric cars coming, yeah. more autonomous cars in the future. The longer the uncertainty goes on, the more the loss of investment is going to damage these new technologies in the UK. So uh, with those factors in play then, uh, David, where are the potential areas that, that automakers in, in the UK need to focus on to try and see if they can level some of these issues out and, and, and try and find some more growth? Well, in the short term, they are trying to kind of mitigate some of the uncertainty by temporarily close. And a lot of the car companies will shut plants because they'd expected, uh, you know, uh, the UK to be leaving the, the European Union. That has now been postponed, perhaps. We don't know. Right. Um, they are also stockpiling components simply because they don't know whether the UK will still be in the customs union. In the extreme case, you've got niche producers like Aston Martin prepared to fly in high-end components to keep the production lines going. Um, but it's difficult for the car companies to be doing the things that they need to do, which is transforming their business models towards electrified and future-connected vehicles, when they don't know whether they'll be able to make the cars in the UK and export them to Europe without tariffs and non-tariff barriers. How, how much of a factor is the auto industry in the United Kingdom when you think about the overall economy right now, David? Uh, it's still very important. So it still accounts when you look at all the different sort of uh, sectors linked together that are related to automotive, still accounts for about 850,000 jobs. Those are well-paid jobs as well. One of the things we've noticed in the UK in recent years is that, you know, uh, a, a lot of jobs created, but often quite low-paid jobs. These are good jobs in that sense. It also accounts for a big chunk of research and development right. and a sizable part of the export base of the UK. So economically, it's important. And remember, the industry had actually been doing very well after the global financial crisis when it reached a low output had increased by over 60% up to about 2016. And there'd been something like £9 billion worth of investment in the four years up to 2016. Since then, things have gone into reverse. John Paul, as David laid out, the issues surrounding the, the future of electric and the future of autonomous, uh, we've talked with you in the past about, about how this is going to impact here in the United States. It almost feels like this is, these issues are already ramped up maybe four or five steps ahead of where we are in the U.S. right now. Uh, yes, I, I think so, and there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, I mean, the, the regulations around emissions and fuel efficiency in Europe are – uh, are more uh, ambitious. And, of course, in the U.S., we have the Trump administration trying to roll back what the EPA had done under President Obama. Um, the EU standards are ambitious and marching, you know, through a sequence of phases. 
in which uh, they keep reaching for these higher goals. And so the industry is definitely preparing for that. I think generally there's been more uh, interest in electric in Europe than in the U.S., um, probably more charging infrastructure appearing across different parts of Europe, more efforts to integrate those into one sort of seamless charging infrastructure to make it easy for people crossing borders to uh, to to deal with that. And the diesel scandal, um, as David points out, which, of course, we mostly talk about in terms of Volkswagen, but yeah. by discrediting diesel overall as not being green and clean, but being dirty and having major health, uh, you know, ne- negative consequences for people, has just accelerated uh, what all of the European companies want to do with electric. And so yeah. I definitely think that pace is going faster in Europe. They're you know, the big question worldwide, really, including in China, where the the biggest electric vehicle market is now, is, you know, where's the demand from consumers? We've we've got more of a push on the supply side from the companies, uh, fueled in part by regulation and a belief that this is the future. Uh, consumers right. are a little slower to pick that up. So that's true in Europe, too. Uh, and, and anyway, so take this high uncertainty about uh, the Brexit situation. It just complicates decisions about where to put that investment in electric vehicles. Do you want to do it in the U.K. if you're not going to be able to export them freely to the EU? How uh, much? Can I just follow up? Yeah, on go that? ahead, David. Well, absolutely right, because I think what the, the Honda decision, remember, the, the, I think the, the product cycle that John Paul was talking about before, I think has got a, a rather compressed here because the investment decision is on new models coming, which are going to be electric. And what Honda are basically saying is the UK is not going to be an attractive place to make electric cars in the early 2020s. That's quite a big criticism of the British government's industrial policy, which is all about making electric cars. The other factor here, by the way, is the new EU-Japan free trade agreement, which means that increasingly the likes of Honda will be able to make cars in Japan and export them to the EU increasingly without tariff barriers. Now, that's not something Honda could actually say about the UK in future years. We're joined on the phone by David Bailey of uh, Aston Business School in Birmingham, England. Also, John Paul McDuffie of the Wharton School. We're talking about the issues surrounding the uh, UK auto industry right now. David, though, I I would think that as this last couple of years has played out uh, with the potential of Brexit kind of moving closer and closer, I would imagine that a lot of the the members of the auto industry in that uh, part of the world still had to be a little bit in disbelief that we've kind of gone this far down the road. Uh, you know, we were supposed to have the Brexit uh, last Friday, and we didn't have that because of the extension. I, is there this level of disbelief of, of how this is all played out, even amongst the auto industry? Uh, yes, is the, the short answer to that. I mean, I think car company executives are literally pulling their hair out and in a state of disbelief that we are in such political chaos in the UK, which has not been seen, well, certainly not in my lifetime, where we don't know whether... Uh, even within a couple of weeks, whether the UK is going to be inside a customs union or not. Just to give you a flavour of that, there are, there are cars that have been loaded onto transporter ships and are several weeks into their journey out to Japan or Korea being exported from the UK, and the car companies don't even know when they arrive whether or not they'll face tariff barriers or not. So that, Because at the moment, the UK benefits from an EU trade deal with Japan and Korea and other countries. If we fall out, we'll no longer benefit from that. So extreme conditions of uncertainty, which has made the life for the automakers very difficult, hence why they are temporarily closing their plants down in April. 
as you mentioned, there are other factors at, at play here. But is it in part a little bit of a microcosm of what's going on with the with the entire economy in the UK right now? Uh, yes and no. Uh, certainly, what we've, we've we've seen a decrease in investment. So, uh, figures that came out last week showed that investment declined in every quarter in 2018. So we've seen investment down, and there has been a hit to growth in the economy since the uh, referendum back in 2016. So the economy has grown more slowly than it would have done without the vote. And we've already lost in the UK about 2% in GDP. Ironically, that's the equivalent of around £350 million a week. That that was the figure, if you remember, that was on the side of the bus during the referendum. That's right. what we would save. That's actually already cost us. So there's been an impact already on investment and economic growth. Um, that, that's not really perceived as yet, I don't think, by consumers. Um, but the longer that this goes on, the more the economic costs will be felt. How much, uh, John Paul, do you think that these issues surrounding Brexit are, are impacting these companies when you think about their overall operation, when you think about companies like, like Honda or, or La, uh, Jaguar Land Rover? I mean, you know, these auto companies are very global in their orientation. They have to be. It's one of the most global of industries. And so free movement across borders of products, of components, of people is just hugely important to them. Um, They're well familiar with uh, making investment decisions in different parts of the world and sometimes backing away from one or deciding to grow faster some other place. And so... You know, Jaguar Land Rover has the heritage of the British brands, but is now owned by uh, uh, by Tata in in India, and so uh, and you know many of the originally uh, domestic British firms, other than the high end, have uh, have mostly disappeared or, or been sold. So. I completely agree with David. The success uh, back in the 80s of attracting the Japanese companies to make the UK their beachhead for really uh, production base for all of Europe was uh, a huge achievement. And, and really, the US was the first place the Japanese went, and then the UK was the next. And they really depended on this, this free movement. Um, you know, if, if things look unfavorable in the UK, they will simply move somewhere else. And it, it will not, in the end, have that big an impact on their overall global strategy. They won't necessarily be happy about having to do it, but right. I think the consequences for the U.K., for the economy, for the people holding those very good jobs and all the multiplier effects that go out from the assembly plants into R&D and into suppliers, that's the real uh, potential loss here, and, it, and it, it's huge. David? I would absolutely agree with that, and that's the starkest, I think, in terms of the Japanese, but also Jaguar Land Rover, which we see as a British company, as John Paul was saying, is actually Indian-owned by Tata, a fantastic owner. It has made a very big investment recently in Slovakia. Now, that investment was partly because it wanted to access lower labor costs in Slovakia, right. but it was also a hedge against Brexit. So I think what we might see is Jaguar Land Rover shifting more production to Slovakia to produce inside the eurozone for that market and if there is a hard brexit you know in the extreme case if we have no deal brexit with potential tariff barriers coming in i could see jaguar land rover itself closing a plant in the uk and shifting more production there so the stakes are very high indeed and the form of brexit is going to be absolutely critical in terms of determining how much investment there will be 
in the UK car industry going forward. Which is interesting when you when you mentioned uh, uh, Land Rover Jaguar, David, because that is, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you look at the, the auto industry on a global perspective, that is seen as, as British a, as anything. And to hear about potential plant closures or moving production to other locations, it just does highlight, again, a story that we've talked about on the show is the fact that, that there are companies that understand the significant issues of Brexit and they need to prepare for it. And whether it is moving operations to other parts of Europe or other parts of the world, they are going to make those moves if they have to make them, even potentially a company like like Land Rover Jaguar. They're absolutely right. These are uh, globally owned companies in many cases. Uh, there may be British brands. So I, I, I think perhaps the, the high end, the kind of real luxury models uh, will be kept in the UK because brand sort of heritage and Britishness counts. But increasingly in the sort of premium sector uh, and the mass market, that is not really an issue. And um, Jaguar Land Rover are already uh, making cars in Slovakia. Their new electric uh, iPace car the, the, the Jaguar car is already made in Austria. So I can see them looking to shift more production if things go badly in terms of Brexit. And it, you know, the, the people in favor of Brexit will say, oh, the car industry will just adapt if we have a hard Brexit. It won't be so bad. The car industry <laughs> will adapt. That's absolutely right. But it doesn't mean to say it will stay in the UK. Remember, Australia used to have quite a vibrant car industry. It's all shut down. And one of the chapters in our new book is called Carmageddon Down Under. So no, in, no, no country has a right to a car industry. Right. If conditions are right, it could go somewhere else. John Paul, that's a little bit of what we've seen here in the United States with the with the moving of of automakers in terms of their plants from various states, depending on what kind of best deal that they can get. We've seen it in in South Carolina, in New Jersey, and other places. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's big competition for these investments. And so, in a way, the automakers do have a, a lot of options and, in some ways, attractive options in terms of getting subsidies for those investments. Um, it's still a big bet for them, and there are some uh, some U.S. plant investments that haven't gone so well or have ended up being sold um, because of the fate of the products like the Mitsubishi plant in, in Illinois. But, but generally, these companies are going to have choices around the world. And uh, I was thinking of Australia, too, as a cautionary uh, example. It's, you know, for different reasons than, than Brexit. But, I mean, I remember visiting Australia, and they had a kind of proud history of both GM and Ford, Jim Holden and Ford, but also had attracted a bunch of the Japanese and, and had some very good suppliers. And in a very short period of time, all of the remaining automakers decided to pull out of Australia. I think Toyota was the last. Toyota was doing the best, but I think they decided to be the last automaker in a country that no longer really has uh, 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 an auto assembly industry. Uh, didn't make sense, and it right. was an opportunity for them to not make themselves look like the bad guy. They could join the general the general exit. Um, that has to scare anyone in the UK who understands how important the auto industry has been to the manufacturing sector and the overall economy since the 80s. I guess then, is that, David, somewhat of of the worst case scenario when you think about the UK and its auto sector moving forward? And obviously, you mentioned with some of the legacy companies that they will uh, probably never leave. They they will move some uh, some operations around. But all of these other companies that are are here, the concern is they pick up and leave. That's absolutely right. So, in the case of No Deal, which would see 
you know, tariff and non-tariff barriers imposed and also customs delayed. So that would real, really make a mess of very integrated just-in-time arrangements and supply chains that cross borders. You know, we could see an immediate short-term hit to output. Uh, that some of the estimates, for example, by Ian Henry in our book have about around 175,000 units a year just from the short-term hit. But then if companies decide not to replace models when their lives come to an end, we could see by the end of the 2020s output reduced by around another half a million units. So if we end up with a no-deal scenario, that could be really damaging for the industry. And the industry has been quite consistent in saying it wants to remain inside the customs union and as close as possible to the single market. And that's what the huge battle taking place in the British Parliament is about right now. What sort of future trading arrangement do we want? The numbers of of potential jobs that that you have in this industry, in that country right now, uh, is what at this point? uh, Around 850,000 jobs related to the industry. So less than 200,000 of those are in uh, automotive assembly and the component side of things. The rest are in related industries. But if we think about a possible no-deal scenario where there could be tariffs, that would amount to something like a £3 billion a year hit to the industry. Now, the industry is not that profitable. It works on quite low margins, and a £3 billion hit would actually be pretty damaging. In the case of Jaguar Land Rover alone, they forecast a potential hit from no deal of £1.2 billion a year. Remember, that's a loss-making company already. Yeah. £1.2 billion a year will mean plant closures. And, and I would imagine that a company like that, uh, even with the conversation of a Brexit, and as you mentioned, being a, a company in the red already, uh, there was never an expectation, it feels like, in the last two years that, that there was a, a truly positive end for them to be able to, to turn that around. No, that's right. And let's be clear. I mean, the, the industry itself, but also the House of Commons Select Committee, which has been looking into this, has been very clear. There is no upside from Brexit for the UK car industry. Right. Uh, it, the issue is what extra costs will be imposed, what extra trade barriers will be imposed uh, that is going to make, uh, regardless of what happens, it will make making cars in the UK more difficult is right. the degree to how much more difficult it becomes. So th- there is no upside from, from Brexit for the UK car industry, and I would argue for much of UK manufacturing. It's about damage limitation. Great to have you both with us. Uh, thank you, David, for your insight. All the best. Thank you. Thank you, John Paul. As always, great to catch up with you. Sure. Thank you. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.